I think it was John Paul II in his letter of the artists who says that beauty is the spark that awakens the soul to the divine. And so much of our evangelical efforts, our educational efforts, and really our liturgical efforts have been completely devoid of beauty. And the consequences of that are manifold. College is a bubble. We're here to pop it. The Albertus Magnus Institute is reinventing the academy, offering education that's as free as it is free. Welcome to the Magnus Podcast. With your help, we are liberating the liberal arts. Now, your hosts, John Johnson and Larissa Bianco. Welcome back to the Magnus Podcast. Larissa Bianco here, joined by the one and only John Johnson. Hi, John. Hey, Larissa. Hey, how you doing? Good, Good to be here. Good. And today we are joined by Shannon Valenzuela. Shannon received her PhD from Notre Dame. She is currently a professor at University of Dallas. She's involved with the Arts of Liberty Project, produced and wrote the limited miniseries, The Quest. She is a mother, screenwriter, novelist. Shannon, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you both. What is The Quest? I am... I'm genuinely interested in going on this quest. Yes, uh, lovely. Um, so the the quest is a limited series, uh, which is produced by the University of Dallas and distributed by EWTN. Um, and the 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 basic objective of this series is to help people discover their purpose and learn to live it with courage. So we talk about a lot of stories from the lives of the saints, from scripture, from history and literature. Um, you know, just just the full spectrum, I suppose, of of the human experience in trying to draw examples and exemplars for people to think through how they discern what it is they're called to do in this life, and then what's involved in actually stepping out and making that, uh, you know, a reality. Now, in watching these videos, I noticed immediately that they're very beautifully produced, and there's there's a beautiful uh, story thread. Uh, throughout each of them. So kudos to you. I'm assuming you had a a great deal to do with that. And it's so beautifully refreshing to see beautiful things being produced uh, for the church, for society in general. So just give us an insight into why you, why, why we need, why we need the quest. Why, why, why was it, why was it born? Yeah, it was really born out of a desire to, um, to serve, I guess. You know, the University of Dallas, we we spend a lot of time thinking about the formation of the human person and the direction of the human person towards a life well lived. And sort of the entire educational model of the University of Dallas is oriented towards that objective. And this is an opportunity for us to get to share that experience that our students on ground here at the Irving campus and in Rome have uh, with, with a wider audience. And that, that is really exciting to us. It's, it features uh, our wonderful faculty. We bring in as many of them as we can from as many different disciplines as are possible really um, is, is one of our, one of our goals. And, and it's really uh, out, born out of a desire to, to help people really think through and live a rich and full life in that way and get to partake in that, that educational, um, model. So that's, uh, it, it, practically speaking, it was born out of another video series, um, project, which I was brought on to, uh, to assist with, 
2019 um, called The Studies in Catholic Faith and Culture, which is available. It is a free video series as well, but it's much, it's a longer form series um, of three different courses. They're really video courses produced by the university. And the quest was a desire, was born out of a desire to take some of the themes of the of the third course in particular and distill it down into kind of like a bite-sized um, portion for a more general audience. So that's that's sort of the the practical Beautiful. history, I suppose, of the series. UD is obviously one of AMI's endorsed institutions, and we relentlessly promote anything you guys do. I think at least three of our faculty in the AMI fellowship are graduates or professors of University of Dallas. And so this video series is something that anybody can appreciate, enjoy, UD or not. Uh, and how how does somebody get access to it? It's really beautiful and worth watching. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, so it is um, available on demand um, at EWTN. So if you have a streaming service, you can you know go to, to EWTN and find it on their on their on demand platform. Uh, but we also encourage people to to come to our own website and that you can get the videos for free um, as well through us directly. It's um, quest.udallas.edu is the URL to to go and um, you can you can sign up. Uh, we have a newsletter as well that goes out um, with you know different updates and and bonus materials, I suppose, ancillary materials that go along with this series. Uh, so we welcome people to uh, to head there and check that out as well. Awesome. Uh, so we got the plug out of the way and a good plug it was, <laughs> but let's, let's talk about you. Uh, what makes you tick? What do you like thinking about? What text do you like discussing? Uh, introduce oh, our audience to list. you. I know, I know. Inter- <laughs> but introduce our audience to How you. How much time you. do we have? <laughs> we, we have as much time as you, as you want to spend. There we us. go. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about yourself and, and your, uh, your work, your life's work and your academic work. Yeah, so I I kind of sit uh, in in two um, fields, I suppose you could say. I, I sit on the creative side with productions like The Quest. Um, I am a screenwriter by training and also a novelist, um, so I, I really enjoy um, the creative process um, and thinking about. You know, I kind of live and breathe story. I'm also a literature professor um, and a humanities professor, so I I live and breathe story on on kind of both sides of the of the aisle so to speak um so that's you know that's that's something that i that i really enjoy i enjoy teaching literature from the perspective not only as an as an academic uh but also from the perspective of a creator myself um and so i spend a lot of time with my students thinking about the kinds of choices that authors make in order to convey the meaning, because I, I feel that form and structure are so integral to the messaging um, and to what an author or a poet is trying to, to communicate to us. So I really enjoy uh, working with my students to think through, um, especially like structural and, and formal choices um, in, in any of the poetry that, that we study or the, the works that we study. Um, as far as the academic work, um, I am a medievalist by training. Um, and so I love uh, thinking about Chaucer. Chaucer was my uh, my focus. And uh, so any chance I get to teach Chaucer, I'm, I, I love uh, doing that. And I'm really interested in um, language and theories of, of how we communicate meaning through uh, different different languages and sort of the mechanisms of, of translation, uh, particularly in the in the medieval period. So on the academic side, that's 
a lot of my work kind of focuses on, on that, that kind of thing. So I want to talk a short list. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, I want to dig into some of these texts a little bit more. Can you talk about how these, you know, poems and stories and Chaucer and the humanities and literature, can you talk about the beauty aspect in all of those and how that leads to free minds and forming a whole person from the perspective of beauty and languages, you know, all of these things, they have this form and music that is beautiful. And it's the part of the liberal arts that, you know, truth, goodness, and beauty. So can you delve into that stories and beauty and. Yeah, no, that that's, yeah, just, just, just a huge question. Yeah, but no, I love it. I love it. Beauty um, is actually, in fact, that is the, uh, the topic that we take up in season two of the quest, which will be coming out uh, in the fall of 2023 is called the way of beauty. Um, And I, really do feel that that is in a way the universal language. Um, I think that that beauty can reach people when other things can't sometimes. Um, and that that is something that um, that it just allows us to experience things more fully. Um, so you asked about the the beauty in in literature and in stories. Again, I think it draws us in. I think beauty is what it draws us in and it displaces us out of our normal everyday, you know, routines and things like that. It can surprise us. Um, it delights us and it kind of shakes everything up. So when we encounter a text or a work of art or a piece of music or a, a, a film or, you know, even just beauty in the natural world or in the sciences, mathematics, I mean, you find it every, it's everywhere. Um, and I think it just, that it does, it just serves to, to kind of shake us out of our, our ordinary everyday lives and, and wake us up to, to something that that's new. And then to lead us of course, beauty is, you know, goes along with goodness and truth. Um, and, and so it, it is a doorway or is a gateway into those other two um, transcendentals, I think, in a, in a very real way. But it's like, you know, it just gives us, gives us a path to walk, I think. I think it was John Paul II in his letter of the artists who says that beauty is the spark that awakens the soul to the divine. And so much of our evangelical efforts, our educational efforts, and really our liturgical efforts have been completely devoid of beauty. And the consequences of that are manifold, right? The, I mean, the, the world is falling off the rails. Uh, the church is bleeding souls every day. And you are obviously realizing that in a way that has compelled you to uh, base your efforts, evangelical, educational, in beauty, because you know beauty is one of the two things that can sort of shock a person back into reality, like beauty or catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And so, just speak a little bit, if you could, on the culture's need to recapture and the tradition's need to recapture. It's once firmly held monopoly, I guess, on, yeah. on beauty, uh, at least as a tactic, right? Where, where did we go wrong and how do we recover beauty as the modus operandi for all of these efforts? No, that's a really, really interesting question. I, I wish I knew um, where, where things really started to, to fall apart. Um, 
but I do think that as far as as, as an evangelical model, um, I know the, the Pontifical Council for Culture has spoken about the way of beauty as being, in a way, the evangelical model for modern man. And I think there's something really profound to that. And I think in part it's because we've we've lost in some ways um, the ability to have rational discourse. And so trying to argue people or have a rational conversation that would that would lead people just by reason alone to truth, I think is very challenging. I think we see a similar challenge in the in the moral life. I think it's it's with moral, you know, sort of relativistic kinds of terminology that we use, it's very difficult to say there's one standard that that should apply across the board rather than, you know, everyone kind of making one for themselves and living according to that. And that's what we call integrity. Um, and so those two things, I think they're, they're obviously still pathways and we still need those pathways. We need them to be very strong. But I think in some ways it's very difficult uh, to make headway there, at least initially, right? And so I think that's again kind of going back to my to my thought about beauty being in a, in a way a more universal appeal or a universal language um, that that people can can recognize what is what is beautiful and that it speaks to them, and then they they wonder, right? And and wonder, as we know from the tradition, is is the beginning of wisdom, right? Wonder as is a is that that thing which prompts us to start then asking questions about something. And once we start asking questions about things, then I think we're on the path to being able to bring in now those arguments about truth or those, those principles that we might talk about on, on the on truth and, and goodness. Um, so that's, I guess that's kind of what I see um, the great advantage of beauty being is that's connection to wonder um, and that inspiration to question. Why do you think our culture is so allergic to wonder? Something, oh. something about the way we live is just so antithetical and Ugly. almost prophylactic to the possibility of wonder. Yeah, we, at its most basic level, I wonder if some of it's not that we've just, we've kind of lost touch with the natural world on a certain level. Um, and, and, and to me, that's like the very first and most basic way in which we encounter things that make us stop and pay attention. You know, you see something beautiful in nature um, and, and it just, it catches your attention. It catches your eye, but we've, we've sort of lost the ability to see things I think around us a little bit. Um, we're very into screens. We're very into things being fed to us um, and not always beautiful things. Right. Obviously. So, um, and, and then we just, I think, distract ourselves. I think we're a very distracted culture and we don't give ourselves the space. I mean, wonder requires a little bit of breathing room, I think, to, to function properly. I'm so glad you say this because, um, I'm a father of several young children. And, you know, if, if you got kids, you know, that somehow the most tantalizing thing to them is to go up and grab daddy's phone Mm -hmm. and play with it. Right. And we have a, we don't have a TV in the house. But there's this weird, innate desire in people to be captivated by this little thing that lets us manipulate light with our hands, uh, manufacture it almost, rather than looking up at the stars. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why is this trap so powerful? I mean, you mentioned the screen, and there really is something about our lives connected. We're talking to each other right now through a screen, <laughs> uh, but it's yeah. like, we're, we're just 
deep back in the in the cave of Plato. And <laughs> in many ways, yeah. And we've forgotten that the beach is even out there and the light of the sun is even out there. So I mean, I I mean that might be just a self uh self-answering question, but maybe you could comment on that. Uh the the power of the screen is almost like this demonic parody of wonder, natural wonder. Yeah, I, I love the the allusion there to, to Plato's cave because I do think there's something very profound to that. Um, and I and I think that more and more people are starting to wake up to the reality that we are missing life by living behind a screen, right? We are we are divorcing ourselves from real experience, uh, from real connection um in in so many ways, from real deep, profound relationships, personal relationships, um, because we we are are in a way sucked into the it's easy right it's easy it's convenient it's distracting it's you pick it up you get into the habit it's addicting i mean studies have shown that you know that there's so many levels to this problem um but i think finding ways particularly with children right to encourage them to get outside to help them learn to see and i think that requires you know a teacher or a parent or someone who is themselves awake and aware of of what they're seeing around them to to point these things out to children to teach them how to wonder, um, I think is so, so important. And I, and I love that that is part of sort of the liberal arts education tradition is that we value that so very much. Um, and, and I think that that that's, that's maybe part of, part of the antidote. I don't, I don't know that it's, it can be the entire solution, but, but that may be a start. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I mean, and they, you see these studies, it's kind of generational, like the greatest mm-hmm. generation, they didn't, grow up with any screens of any sort, obviously, and they're sort of not into that thing to the extent that they're still alive. But then the boomers, the boomers, they just love their Facebook and their, you know, texting by voice, you know, LOL, mm-hmm. period, you know. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do see that, you know, I guess whatever generation I am, I'm like brink of millennial and whatever is older than that, Gen X, and then below there is this new interesting desire to sort of raise families sans screen and mm-hmm. uh, you know, the light phone, you know, the alternatives to the screen. We all kind of miss nostalgically the days of having that landline connected in the kitchen where you had to have the guts to <laughs> yeah, call the right. girl and talk to her dad first, you know, <laughs> instead of just like texting. Um, so do you see culturally um, at least you know, a small movement back uh, to life before the screen, or are we just totally doomed? No, I mean, it, it's interesting because I think that, you know, with nature, I think there's there's a natural desire for some sort of an equilibrium. So like if you swing too far in one direction, the pendulum swings really far in the direction of everybody's on their screens and it's all consuming, then you start to kind of have the reverse movement of, wait, what are we doing let's think about this. Are we really sure we want to be going down this road? And then, you know, people starting to be more thoughtful about it and maybe pulling back from the technology a little bit. And so we're, it may be that we're, we're sort of entering into some sort of a rebalancing phase. And I think, interestingly, I think COVID actually might've helped with that a little bit because we were forced to be on screens and we kind of realized how much we missed the interpersonal reaction, you know, relationships and, and, and things like that, uh, being actually in front of a classroom with students in it, you know, having conversations at the office, things like that. Um, and so 
I, I think it's interesting that when we were we were all sort of forced in that direction that that we kind of realized what we were missing perhaps and that that may be part of um you know part of our attempts to to kind of rebalance. I, I like to be optimistic. I guess my my bottom line, I would like to be optimistic. I would like to think that we could find a way um you know, that genie's not going back in the bottle. There's no way to to put that back. You know, we, we're going to be stuck with this technology. But if there is a way to move forward with it that does not, as you were asking earlier, kill our natural sense of wonder or or sort of move us completely away from the pursuit of the best things, um, I think that's right. that would be that would be right. And you are actually, you know, your life's work is to sort of re-educate and re-evangelize precisely through digital mediums. So yeah. You know, you're you're sort of trying to make cave images uh, that point us in in the opposite direction, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Which is which is noble um, and necessary because you're right. We can't put that genie back in the bottle. So, um, yeah. How do we? Oh, sorry, get on. No, please. So, how do we? Uh, in in higher education and in colleges, how do we return to forming beauty within them if most college students have probably never really wondered you know they may have been read the velveteen rabbit but then they dissected it they didn't wonder <laughs> how the rabbit became real yeah old yeah. became real because he was loved but they didn't get to marvel at that and mm-hmm. so now they're going to college and they don't really know how to wonder they listen to a piece of classical music and again they dissected the theory of it but they were never allowed to or maybe some of them more. I'm speaking very generally. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, if that. And it's, it's the STEM, the whole emphasis on STEM education is, you know, the hard sciences, hard math, engineering, computer science, which everybody's told you got to do this if you want to earn a living. Yeah. Um, it's really not conducive to wonder, or is it? I mean, children should be listening to Handel's Messiah and dancing and marveling at how beautiful it is before they dissect it right so when you get to college and you're told dissect this or learn music theory well i don't i mean is it too late or how because it almost seems like from a higher education standpoint you're holding them back yeah how do you break through how do you, how do you break through start over breakthrough I think we're helped by by human nature. Um, I always come back to the very first line of of Aristotle's Metaphysics, which I, I taught sixth grade science at a, at a classical charter school for a while, and and we had them memorize actually the opening of Aristotle's Metaphysics. And the first line is "All men by nature desire to know," and that that he goes on to kind of explain how we have this sort of natural desire based on just our delight in in our sense that we love to you know, taste new cuisine. We love to like listen to music, whether we really know what we're listening to or not. There's something very appealing about that. Um, we delight in in beautiful things, you know, images or the natural world as we've been talking about. Um, and and I think that there is a way to break through, um, even with people who are who are older, uh, students who are who are older, maybe have never had that kind of training or that kind of encouragement to listen to that natural impulse to wonder at something, or they've never given themselves, like we were talking about earlier, the breathing space, the the time and the quiet. I think that's another thing that that we haven't really touched on, but the, the noise, the just ambient constant distraction and noise that we are surrounded by it's it's very difficult to to kind of enter into any sort of a deep appreciation for anything 
you know, when, when your phone's buzzing every 30 seconds or there's, you know, there's noise and, and constant activity um, in, in life. So I think it's, it's about creating the environment, the space, you know, hopefully having guides in the form of teachers who themselves are attuned to that wonder um, and can try to speak a language that the students will understand to get them you know, to ask, you know, just the right question, you know, and it, different students are, are different. Every, every class is different. Every child, is, every student is different. Um, but sometimes it only takes one question or one text or one encounter with, with something that, that opens that door for them. And In your experience as a teacher, is it more difficult to break through the older a student is, uh, think it's the great Morpheus in the matrix movies who says, yeah. to, you know, we never free a mind once it's reached a certain age. I think in some ways it, yeah, I think in some ways it, it can be more difficult because you're dealing with sort of a, the habits, right. That have built up the habits of, of the way of being. Um, and when you're asking them to change how they're approaching something, you have all, all of that sort of habit formation to overcome in a way. Um, when you're starting with children at, at a very young age, you're not, you know, that that mountain's not so not so big. Um, and, and you are actively helping them to form those habits from the very beginning when they're naturally, uh, you know, inclined to to do all of the things that, that you're asking them to do anyway. You just sort of need to just kind of step in and direct. Um, so, so yeah, in some ways, I think it, it can be more challenging. Um, at the same time, I think that there is, you know, if, if, if we're right and that there is sort of this natural hunger for the good, the true and the beautiful in, in each and every one of us, that the further away from that you get the sort of bigger that that hole becomes, you know, and the greater the longing is, even if they don't really recognize what they're longing for. Um, and so I think that presents a tremendous opportunity as well. Um, again, if you can just sort of tap into that and open the door, um, I think that, you know, hopefully that will that will inspire them to to start their their journey. Definitely. We've got a good friend of, well, actually a co-founder of, of AMI, uh, Brian Long, I can mention his name. He, uh, he teaches at the middle school level and it's this very impoverished Catholic school. And he sort of inherited a very, you know, uh, well, a program in disarray, we could say. And one, one, right off the bat, what he started doing was, you know, he'll put on the projector um, uh, a famous painting, a Caravaggio or something, or the Pieta. And I'll have the kids just look at it and say, you'll say, write, write down 20 questions that this being of art evokes. You know, and at first it probably starts out really silly and yeah. gratuitous. And, the, you know, but then they start asking serious questions because they're allowing themselves to be moved, affected by something that is beautiful. And that's what changes. That's what changes a kid, right? They're, they don't have exposure to beautiful things because beautiful things aren't easy to wonder upon at first, right? It's right. always easier to reach for that quick thrill of dopamine than to really dive into something that's contemplative. It takes a certain sort of effort. So, with that, maybe just tactically, a lot of our audiences, educators, teachers, even homeschool moms. Uh, and dads, uh, what tactical advice could you give to an educator who is looking to open a mind to wonder through beauty? I think that's such a great 
question. Um, and I think that a lot of it is, is perseverance, <laughs> to be honest, um, because there will be resistance at first, as you point out, it's hard sometimes, again, to break through that initial, um, I'm just going to give the quick answer. I'm just going to write something down on the page, you know, uh, whatever it's not, this is, you know, and they have all kinds of objections and, and this is dumb or like, this is, you know, why are we doing this? I don't understand. You know, and it's, it's that patient continuing, I think, to, to present them with opportunities and to encourage them to foster a, a community in the classroom, particularly if we're speaking about educators, to foster a community in the classroom where wonder is supported. I think sometimes, you know, if we, if we think sometimes about the kind of internal dialogue that might be going on when a child is presented with something that is strange and an activity that maybe they're very unfamiliar with at first, I think there's a certain level of fear that that they're going to have the wrong answer or that somehow if they say something in front of the class that they're going to be, um, you know, that's it's going to be ridiculed or there's going to be some sort of shame involved in that um, because everybody else is just wants the quick and easy, you know, answer and wants to move on and and that kind of thing. And so I think that that part of the solution, too, is to make this a community effort. It's not just a one on one with a, with a student. But also, again, like creating that culture that reinforces um, we're we're kind of in this together. We all have valuable insights to share. No two people are alike. So, you know, again, fostering fostering that idea that this is it's not just an individual, um, you know, experience with with a piece of art or with something beautiful. Um, but there is in a, in a way, particularly in a classroom, a, a community um, aspect to that as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Go ahead, Larissa. I mean, our culture doesn't understand beauty. My my small town where I live, they just put sculptures up all over the place, and they're just like twisty. You drive by, and you're like, "And this, what is that?" People love it. They think it's beautiful. Yeah. One so, of my favorite um, talks I give when I on sometimes I do the little Catholic speaking circuits and such. But one of my favorite talks I give, I call it the chocolate talk, and <laughs> I've done it with. Uh, everybody from middle school to grad students to adults, the reaction is very different generationally, but the gist of it goes, if if you'll indulge me, I'll just kind of lay it out. But I give them, I give them all Hershey's chocolate and I say, taste it. And they're like, Oh, this is great. It's amazing. It's delicious. (laughs) And well, what is it? It's chocolate, obviously you dummy, you know, and then I'll give them this like super dark 90% artisan chocolate and they'll be like oh gross i'll give them another super dark artisan chocolate be like oh okay you know it's uh i taste different i taste berries i taste citrus i taste melon rind you know okay i give them another 90 percent dark artisan chocolate working our way up and up and up you know and by the time we're at like the fourth chocolate well they're they're like super buzzed on chocolate but but they're like wow you know I, I smell raspberries. I, I, I smell, uh, you know, or I taste the tannin on the top of my palate. And then there's this very just inquisitive diving more deeply into this chocolate being. And at the end, I give them the Hershey's again. <laughs> and they say, this is disgusting. It, this is not chocolate. It's wa- It's like this waxy, gross counterfeit. But that's education, right? You do a little bit of pain to be able to see, you know, it's like your eyes have to adjust as you come out of the cave and you're able to see 
the being, the chocolate being itself, chocolate as such, to the point where you realize that what the world has been feeding you as a cheap, quick, easy hit of dopamine is actually a perverse counterfeit of the being that is chocolate. And in this brief demonstration, you can bring a mind to realize that the, the wool's been pulled over their eyes, right? They, they, didn't, they didn't even know what chocolate was. And, and hopefully they'll never go back to the cheap perversity <laughs> yeah. of Hershey's yeah. again. And you do that with music. <laughs> you can do that with architecture. Yeah. Um, but it takes effort, okay? Because it's always easier to get the cheap, quick, quick fix, whether it's with pop music, Hershey's chocolate, cheap, uh, sensual, over-centralized art, you know? So anyway, that's my, that's my spiel on education and beauty. No, I I love that. And I think it, it reinforces again, what we were talking about earlier is this idea of, of patience and perseverance, right. And that you keep coming back and you keep exposing them to the, to the good things until they start to become acclimated to that. And then then yeah, then the, the other things start to become apparent as as monotone or as, as shallow, um, and a, as you say, kind of artificial imitations of of the real thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and rep, that's right. Rep, repetition is the mother of studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, in many you ways. You might have heard yes. the story of Rachmaninoff, who's uh, who got caught by his buddy listening to Rachmaninoff practice. And Rachmaninoff is just doing slow thirds up and down, up. And his buddy's like, "What? You're Rachmaninoff? Why are you doing this, like, <laughs> intro to piano exercise?" And is, that's it. Uh, repetition is the mother of studies. That's how. That's how we learn. Yeah. So awesome. Um, I want to know before before you go, um, tell us about your work with the Arts of Liberty Project, please. Yeah, so I, I haven't uh, had the opportunity to do too terribly much um, with them um, at this point, um, but I, I look forward to um, continuing to be involved uh, with what they're what they're working on. Um, so I've I've been helping with some of the um, I guess the you know the design elements of of things, uh, working with them on um, you know just sort of how how the materials are are presented and packaged, things like that. Um, and I've had uh, conversations with Andrew Seeley um, about, you know, imagination. We, we, we just did a, an interview actually on, on imagination and things like that, which I, I believe will be forthcoming um, here awesome. at some point. Yeah. Seeley's yeah, one of our so, co-founders and a, and a good friend of the Institute. Yeah. No, he's, he's really wonderful. And, and uh, we, we had a good time talking about uh, Tolkien and, and imaginative literature and, and the power of the imagination kind of connected to, to this project of, um, I suppose, you know, the culture and, and bringing people, um, bringing people to, to the good and the true and the beautiful. So awesome. Was, How do your lovely, students yeah. respond? I know you're a big Chaucer uh, aficionado. Uh, aficionado or a ah, da? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're a Chaucer enthusiast. Do your students of Catholic sensibility, are they scandalized by Chaucer? Depends on which tales we read of the Canterbury tales. Um, but yes, in fact, uh, we did. Uh, the last time I taught medieval literature, I taught the Miller's Tale, uh, which was uh, a, a tale that I, I wrote part of my dissertation on. Um, and it okay, is a so when tale. I don't remember yeah. the story exactly, but basically in the Miller's Tale, there's this 
beautiful scene of somebody climbing up to a window and then somebody uh, flatulates in the person's <laughs> face and it's, and it, and it, he kissed me with his nether eye, right? Yeah, that's uh, right. You remember very well. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, how, you, how do you forget so, yeah. that? Yeah. You don't, you don't yeah, forget yeah, getting you kissed really with another eye. Um, so, okay. So when, a, when, a when a, your typical uh, sewed her own dress, homeschool Catholic in your class reads about getting kissed with the nether eye in Chaucer, uh, what's the reaction and what should it be? Yeah. So initially, um, and, and really for, for the Miller's tale, um, the, the shock even is, is beyond sort of the, the fablia, what we might call the fablia, the, the, the comedy aspect, the really low comedy aspect of it. Um, and we, we talk a lot about how in the course of that particular tale, um, Chaucer brings in all of these different trends, if you will, in, putting biblical stories out in front of the general public. So there's a lot of references to the medieval mystery play tradition, for example, biblical translation itself. And the the associations or the illusions um, that the, the Miller tries to draw when he starts off saying, I'm going to tell you the legend and the life of a carpenter and of his wife, um, you, you're automatically in the very dangerous realm of which carpenter and which you know wife are you talking about particularly. Um, and so, yeah, they, they are scandalized by, by sort of the way in which he puts these things together, the very sacred um, images and the very, very profane sort of fablio tradition of the comedy tradition. Um, and I think that, again, the, the reaction, um, it, it's, it's one of those things that shocks us, um, but recognizing that it, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with the shock. The shock should make us stop and ask a question. Why would he do that, right? What's going on here? What, yes. Why is he putting these two things together that don't belong together at all? Um, and so and so to me, yeah, you, you are going to feel the initial shock. You're going to feel scandalized, particularly if we start to get into some of these, these allusions, as I said, to, to some of the biblical, um, you know, and, and scriptural uh, traditions going on at the time. Um, but, but again, in, to me, the, the natural, the next step beyond that is, is to start asking the question, why? I guess it is a, is a form of wonder. It is, it's a kind of shock that should lead us to wonder. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of the direction that I try to encourage them to go. That's great. And does it work? Yeah. It does work sometimes with some students it works with others. I think they, it's, it's hard to get past. I think sometimes, um, students have a similar difficulty with, with Dante, with the Inferno, sometimes with some of the, the torments and the punishments. Um, I think it's a similar thing. That's a, it's a shocking, yeah. Uh, there's shocking images in, in the Inferno. And, and sometimes it's hard to get past the shock of all of that and to, to recognize or to be willing to, to kind of go with the artist a little bit and say, okay, well, why, what is the purpose of these, these images? And, and, you know, what, what are we being asked to, to weigh or consider on a, on a deeper level? So yeah, sometimes it works. Uh, sometimes it, it's not as, as successful, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's my my experience as well. It's yeah. <laughs> interesting that um, you know, in modern art, let's use that term loosely, but take somebody like the comedy of the something like the comedy of Dave Chappelle, right? Mm -hmm. There is definitely an admixture of profanity with profundity. 
Uh, and it is, it is shocking. It is cathartic, but it's, but it's beautiful. Right. And I mm-hmm. think as Catholics, you know, we should do well to not allow ourselves to be so scandalized by things just because they're secular, but be able to be engaged by them and create equally profound art of our own, which we really failed to do the last few generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, and I think it helps to remember that, that Chaucer, that Dante, they're, they're writing in the Catholic middle ages, right? I mean, they're, they're very much, you know, imbued in the tradition of, of the church. And so um, it's really interesting to me that they are, they don't have some, I think of the same scruples perhaps is the word I'm looking for uh, uh, about asking very difficult questions in, in ways that make us very uncomfortable. Um, and I, and I wonder if, if some of our difficulty now is that, that we're, we're too content to stay on a surface level and we're not really willing to put ourselves at, at risk or in jeopardy, you know, in, in that kind of way, um, creatively or, or as an, as an, as an audience. And I'm certainly not advocating for people to go out and, and you know, engage with things that, that absolutely scandalize them. But, but to your point, I think that it's, it's worth our, our, our reflecting on um, where is that line of, of caution, you know, and the, the kinds of things that, that we, that we're willing to, to engage in or encounter. Um, and certainly on, on those things that, that help us to think more deeply about these larger questions. So who are the artists right now, name names, if you would, who are creating beautiful art that's moving the culture in the right direction, whether explicitly Catholic or not? Wow, that's a that's a really good question. And since I'm I'm so much into in, in the film industry, that's where my mind is is going um pretty immediately. Um yeah. I my one of my favorite directors right now is Denis Villeneuve, um, who directed the, the uh, recent Dune adaptation. Um, also directed Arrival, um, and I just think the artistry of what he puts on the screen, the texture of the cinematography, um, is is really really lovely. Um, and so, to me, I think in it's they're the both film beautiful. Space, I love they I are. loved. I loved Arrival. Dune was kind of a snoozer for me. And I'm like, maybe I'm missing the, you know, the, the payoff here, but I mean, give me, give me the elevator pitch for Doom, if you would like. For Doom. <laughs> yeah. Well, why, Dune, why is this Dune movie was, worth paying attention I to? I love the novel. And so I guess um, seeing, seeing it brought to life in that way, uh, I think for me, like who is, I was a fan of the book first. Um, I, I enjoyed the, the sort of the way that he had adapted, uh, the way that they had adapted, uh, the story to, to the screen and, and we're, we're telling it, um, on that note, I'm also a huge fan of Hans Zimmer as a, as a film composer who did the score for Dune. I think he's incredibly innovative, but I think he's also, he plays with music in a way that is, is extraordinary to me oh, yeah. um, as, yeah. as a film composer. So Speaking of I, Zimmer, yeah. uh, what do you think about Nolan? Uh, for my money, he's, he's the best sacred artist of our day. And that's, yeah, I, I yeah, playing. he's again, I think up there with, with Villeneuve in terms of the, just the, the, the creativity that he's willing to um, the lengths he's willing to go to tell the story. And I, I love too that Christopher Nolan, he tends to, um, 
to be willing to play around with forms. I'm like a big form person, right? So, you know, oh, yeah. playing around with how you tell a story, um, it's like Tenet is a great example, right? And and uh, Memento is another one of his films that just, he plays with the structure, right? It's not just all linear. It's it's how do you how do you tell a story and how does that connect to to what the story you're uh, what the story is that you're trying to tell? Um, Have you noticed any so, allegory yeah. at work in Christopher Nolan? Oh, uh, I don't know. In what way? What do you think? Oh, how much time do you have? Oh no. <laughs> what <laughs> what uh what are the top three cops in Batman's names? Jim Gordon, so James. Jim Gordon, right? Okay. Peter Foley, oh. who's the chief, and John Blake, who's the young disciple, who's hmm. who also happens to take the image of a bird, Robin, who right. returns to tell the story. Um, uh, I could go on and on and on, but Batman. Oh, that's interesting. The, the Batman yeah. trilogy is a perfect Christian. Oh, it's no allegory is perfect. There wouldn't be an allegory, right, but right, it's right. a splendid christian allegory um the inception is mm-hmm. about purgatory mm-hmm. and it is about saint joseph the protagonist is saint joseph uh interstellar is about the communion of saints yeah. Mem- memento is about the apophysis of john the baptist anyway i we we should do a whole talk. fascinating yeah, we should do christopher sh- nolan <laughs> oh my gosh nolan is just... geek out on nolan that's great <laughs> oh yeah he's he's uh crypto catholic for sure um every it. every batman movie he's pierced in the side and resurrects um yeah he shows up walking on the water it's ice uh-huh. uh, anyway wow, nice yeah um, Catwoman. I'm yeah, never going to watch another Nolan film the same way again. Now, thank you for oh, that. No, no, That's no, like, yeah. I'll be it's, watching it, for that once, now. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, you it. can't unsee it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, there's even a scene where he's walking to be in car. That, well, the whole Batman, um, the whole Batman genre, really lends itself to an incarnational allegory because you have this prince of the city and his father, who's holding it into being through his opulence. Mm-hmm. And then in order to save the city that's become corrupt, he's got to assume this bestial, terrifying form of the bat. He's got to assume a lower nature to save his city. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, it's just splendid work. How about uh, Terrence Malick? What's your what's your take oh, on him? I think he's doing a lot of great work. Yeah. Too. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think he is he is doing uh, wonderful work, and I, I love the the artistry again of of his vision. Um, yeah, he's another one I think that that people should should take notice of, and and sort of he's a, a great great director to watch for sure. Yeah, yeah, the hidden life was really something. Yes, if, yes, difficult difficult to watch, but really worth watching. Mm-hmm, absolutely, awesome. Uh, well. Larissa, do you have any questions? I got one final thought question, um, but you you go ahead first. Like I said in the beginning, I talk way too much in these things, so 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 sorry to cut you off. Uh, but go ahead, Larissa. Do you want to talk about your novel, Shannon? Oh yeah, plug stuff. Oh well, I uh, yeah, I'm I'm working on um, various things. So I'm actually a science fiction writer. Um, so it's it's kind of. I always, I always tell people that I'm a medievalist who writes science fiction. Um, so, so yeah, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, no, I, I've, I've taken a little bit of a break from not, it's been interesting. I, because of the, the work I've been doing in screenwriting, I've taken a little bit of time away, um, from, from the novels. Um, but they, uh, yeah, they are, they're going to be re-released here shortly. Um, I'm a little, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what the timeline is going to be, but I do have a trilogy of, of science fiction novels and they, they are, they have been out, um, but but they needed some updating. I've learned a lot as a storyteller, and so I, I kind of went back and did did the thing I suppose they tell you never to do, and and uh, and of bringing kind of bringing them up to uh, up to date. And uh, those will be re released um, probably the beginning now of 2023 at this. Point. What are they called? Um, How do we buy them? Uh, so it's it'll be called the Silesia Chronicles, and they'll be available wherever you want to buy books. So Amazon, um, and I write under the um, pen name Shannon Blake for uh, my science fiction novels fiction um so so yeah they'll be nice. hopefully available soon but it's it's basically um kind of along the lines of what we've been talking about i guess uh a, sort of a redemption story um set in in kind of a an in, intergalactic space opera um so you know if you're a if you're a star wars fan it's it's kind of in that in that vein of things um so so yeah wow so that's exciting. I'm totally yeah. not a Star Wars fan, but I'm sure I would enjoy your work more. <laughs> well, um, thank you. Okay. How do how do people find out more about anything you want to promote? Arts of Liberty, the quest, especially. Yeah. So the quest, um, again, quest.udallas.edu is the best place to to find all things quest related. Um, and then Arts of Liberty is also on our, our U Dallas uh, site. So um, that one is um, actually, uh, yeah, artsofliberty.udallas.edu. So artsofliberty, all one word, .udallas.edu. And you can find out more about all of the wonderful resources. It's a tremendous resource um, for, for educators, for parents, for anyone who is um, studying in the classical tradition. Uh, it just has so many resources, wonderful uh, things available there. Um, so, so yeah, those are the, the two places I would, I would recommend people, people check out. Awesome. Okay. Last, uh, last, thought. um, and pardon me for not chapter verse directly quoting it exactly, but we are all familiar, hopefully with the, the story and the gospel and forgive me, I don't even know which one, but at the centurion who comes up to Jesus and says, you know, heal my servant and, and anyway, you know the story. You know the thing, as we've heard. Um, and and G, but Jesus says, "Not in all of Israel have I found such faith." And the Latin there is very interesting. The Greek also, but the Latin, I think it's like uh, "miratus est." That is, Jesus wondered upon mm. the centurion, upon his faith. This is remarkable. Uh, I mean, I mean that God is wondering upon us in our faith. Okay. So my question to you, we talk about cultivating wonder in a way that, you know, we need to wonder more. We need to look up at the stars. We need to, we need mm -hmm. to grow in, in an ability and a capacity to wonder. But if we start with this premise that God actually wonders upon us, wow. Why? Is the human person so wonderful? Or as scripture says, he, we were wonderfully made. What is so wonderful about us strange creatures? 
That's such a good question. Um, along those same lines, one of my favorite passages to think about is the, the lilies of the field parable, because I think that again shows Christ wondering at marveling at his own creation and talking about the the lilies of the field, which is these tiny little flowers that he says, you know, tomorrow will be thrown into the fire, but not even Solomon in all his glory is arrayed like a, like a little, like this little flowers. And I just always think about that of like the God of the universe who created all things takes the time to kind of like, wow, look at those flowers over there, you know, in the meadow. Um, and I, I, I have to think that it, it comes from love. Um, and I, and I think that that's one aspect of wonder that we didn't really talk about, but I think that, that wonder also moves the heart to, to love. And so if we kind of start from the, the, the premise that, that God himself is love and creates out of love and created and made us out of love, um, that, that, yeah, that he would, he would wonder and marvel at us in that way. Um, because it's a reciprocity. There's a reciprocity of, of love there, you know, with the centurion and the story that you told, um, you know, there's, there's that, that movement of faith, that movement of the heart and the centurion that causes God to respond in a reciprocal way. Um, it's a very beautiful meditation, I think. Uh, that's splendid. Thank you. And I think, uh, I hope he, he wanders upon us now and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you, you've been a, just a, splendid guest. Uh, and I would love to continue this conversation more and we'll Absolutely. keep our audience surprised of all the beautiful work you're doing and be assured of our prayers and that of our whole audience. And, thank, and you. thank you for what you're doing in education, because it really is a battle won and lost over beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, and if we can recover beauty, we can recover a whole lot. And so you're, you're doing no small part in that great work. Um, so uh, Shannon Valenzuela, thank you very much. As a reminder to our audience, we're in the midst of our great campaign now and serving uh, at least 800 students in the fellowship and asking for $0 in tuition is no small task. So if you could help us raise 75 grand at magnusinstitute.org, chip in something, uh, it is it is money well spent and uh, you help pay Larissa's salary, which is important. She needs every penny. Uh, okay, no, really. Uh, on behalf, <laughs> on, be, on, be, on behalf of Larissa Bianco, I'm John Johnson and Shannon Valenzuela. Thank you so much. We'll see you guys soon. MagnusInstitute.org for more. Bye bye. The Magnus Podcast is a production of the Albertus Magnus Institute Incorporated. To learn more, way more, by becoming a fellow today, visit MagnusInstitute.org. Copyright 2022, Albertus Magnus Institute, Incorporated. All rights reserved.